Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us once again for another episode of the Play Sheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Joe. As always. So, Joe, ah, good week of NFL. Happy for some, sad for others. <laughs> Any given Sunday. Preach. Should we dive straight into Green Bay? Should we get it over and done with? No, 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 no. We'll save that one until the end. We'll save that one until the end. I'm, I'm keeping that one on ice. Let's keep it on an even kill to start with. Just quickly, because I don't want to give this game too much airtime. Uh, I don't even want it in my brain anymore. But let's quickly talk about one of the worst games I've seen in recent years. Uh, Denver versus Colts on Thursday night. Now, I stayed up for that. I stayed up for that. And I'd already got myself tired by this point I stayed up for it. Once you're staying up till a quarter past one start, you're going to be knackered for work the next day, whatever happens. But I was in bed by the end of the first quarter. That's how bad this game was. Do you know what? It's weird because I always, in the back of my head, have it that the Thursday night games have a risk of being quite pedestrian. But we've actually had quite a few half-decent ones first start of the season. But it's a primetime game, and Jeff Bezos has ploughed so much money into this. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't care if Jeff Bezos gets value for money, but he has put an awful lot into this. And that's the product that he got on Thursday well, night. Well, it lulled me into a false sense of security, Joe, because I forgot that Thursday night drudge games were a thing. But this was like treading through treacle, wasn't it? It was tough. I can happily watch a game that's for the purists. I don't need to have a Kansas City Chiefs, LA Rams, 50-point each game. I don't need that. If a game is executed well, if it's a chess match between two good defences, bring it on. I'm happy. But this, that was not. This was just terrible execution from two terrible teams. Can you remember when the Broncos were getting all that hype at the start of the season about how Russell Wilson was going to be the person to carry them forward and they were a, a playoff slash Super Bowl team? It's a long time ago now. Broncos and terrible quarterbacks name a better pairing. Let's not forget they did have Peyton Manning in living memory, but since then it's just been... It's been it's pretty been bad, but Russell Wilson joins us ranks. I don't understand whether this is a case of Broncos ruining quarterbacks, because there's always been hype over the quarterbacks that they've they've sort of managed to get, and it's always always oh, this the quarterback that they can that they can coach, that they can bring in, or whether they just have terrible scouting and they put all their faith in quarterbacks that actually aren't that good. Russell Wilson, we've seen him play. Where's he gone? I think wherever he's gone, it's going to be plushly lined with about $235 million guaranteed that he took at the start of his season. I mean, you can talk about the bad coaching, you can talk about the bad execution, but allowing him to sign that check, poof, that was a mistake. So, but look, look, Russell Wilson has been terrible. You could argue, you could make a strong case that he wasn't very good in definitely his last season in Seattle. There's an argument that he carried the team, that he did this and did that. There's also a counter-argument there that he didn't lead the offense very well. He held the ball for too long. He wasn't going through his reads properly, and he was making bad decisions. You can sit either side of a fence on that one. There's opinions there. But this is a player who's arguably been on the decline now for a couple of seasons, and it's getting worse. The execution, the misthrows, the overthrows, the lack of judgment in the game against the Colts, a, a bad Colts team. I said, this isn't a Colts team that's been firing at all. They've had one win where it clicked, but this wasn't that team. They're a poor team, and Wilson made them uh, made them winners with only 12 points. It was terrible, and I think that it's a long way back for Wilson right now, because 
one of the things that I mentioned to you this weekend when I saw you, Charles, was the rant that uh, Carl Brandt went on on Good Morning Football. I'm sure that probably a lot of people haven't had, maybe have a chance to see this yet, but this video, so so Carl Brandt, for those of you who don't know him, he's a presenter on Good Morning Football, normally quite an affable, funny guy. Now, he's institution. He works for Good Morning Football. Ergo, he works for the NFL. He's part of the NFL network. He's employed by the league. He's entertaining, he says funny things, but for most of the time, he's towing the company lead. He went on a tirade, the likes of which I haven't really seen from him before, ripping not into just Russell Wilson's play, but his character, bringing up how he's a type of guy when Travis Kelsey and Brady are shaking hands with journalists and stuff on the red carpet, Russell Wilson will put his hand up for no photos and just walk on. This is, this is coming from someone official in the NFL right now, and if it's, you know, seeping that far, it makes you wonder what the locker room is like right now with a quarterback on that money executing that bad and who has a reputation for being that kind of leader. Just before we we dive into his character briefly, you talked about him not going through his reads. You talked about him potentially hanging on to the ball for too long, which I, I think we could all clearly see from last season. But that's not necessarily a Russell Wilson I'm particularly familiar with. And I just wondered... Do you think these things are complacency creeping in, i.e. he was the hero in Seattle for a long period of time and he bought into his own hype, he got lazy, he stopped doing the good things and he relied on this kind of hero aspect of big, deep balls? Or or do you think that these things that he's struggling with now in Denver are, are things that maybe he never really had down particularly tight to begin with and and is now being exposed? I think to answer your question, I'm going to give you a comparative answer. Look at the Seahawks right now. The Seahawks are winning games. Geno Smith still ain't writing back. And that's a team that's on the up. And it's not like they've had a huge amount of free agency work there. It's not like they've picked up generational players through the draft who are instantly making an impact here. You change quarterback and that team has had a facelift and they're looking a lot better. So certainly, I think you can say that for at least for last season, Russell Wilson was part of a problem at the Seahawks rather than adding to their chances of winning. Because I don't think Geno Smith would make such an impact if it was Wilson doing well last season. Seahawks have, have, have been a bad team for a couple of years, right? There's no doubt about that. Since the Legion of Boom kind of finished there, there probably were games where Wilson did carry them. It's not like he's a fundamentally bad quarterback. It's not like he can't throw a ball. It's not like he can't make his reads. So, yeah, you've got to say that some of it, at least some of it, has to be mental. There's no doubt about that. But it's a hard one, Charles. It's a hard one because... You change a team and you think that the mentality will be there to be in a place where you'd want to win. He wanted a move. He wanted to go to Denver. He got that. So then why are you still playing badly? So maybe this is where it comes into play, where we're talking about character here. If he has taken that kind of hero, ego element with him from Seattle to Denver, and actually he's still not doing the fundamentals right because he thinks he'll make the big hero plays and he'll be the saviour, it, it's having the same detrimental effect that it did in the latter years of Seattle. And actually, you could argue that maybe he needs an element of humbling and bringing back down to earth so he can rebuild himself back up again, perhaps. Yep, but by then will he still have the locker room? He's coming in on a huge contract, making a lot of money that's guaranteed... 
You've got players at the Broncos who have been playing pretty well the last couple of seasons who, okay, they're not quarterbacks, so they're not going to be making quarterback money, but we'll be thinking, am I going to be playing here next year because is there enough money to go around because Russell Wilson's taking that big share of the pie? You can quickly lose the locker room very quickly if you've not established rapport with the players and you come in Billy Big Bags. Well, did we all already see hints of that in this game when you had Hamler throwing his helmet down in the end zone? I think we did. And 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 I'm glad you picked up on that because that's basically what I'm alluding to here. That's exactly what I'm alluding to. And it's a lot easier to overcome issues in your head or physical problems that you've had. It's a lot easier to overcome them than it is to a locker room that you've lost because that takes time to, to win that trust back. Sounds cliched, it is cliched, but it's simply true. Interesting. So, I mean, certainly one to watch. We're now five games into the season, so you'd like to think he's had enough time to start betting in here. I think you need to see if he turns this around quickly, because if not, I think you're absolutely right. The money he's on, that poses a lot of problems for the Broncos and where they go next from here. It poses a lot of problems because he's he's, he's guaranteed for five years. What are you going to do? He's only losing value right now. So, unless you have a coach who thinks that they're a quarterback whisperer who can make him good again which there's no coaches in the league now who he's worked with who will think they have that relationship because you look at say the Colts Frank Reich had worked with players like Carson Wentz so he thought he could change Carson Wentz because he knew him he'd worked with him there's no coach in the league right now who has worked with Russell Wilson aside from Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll ain't gonna want him back so no one is really gonna want him thinking that they can fix him his value is only going down if you're a Broncos right now, a Broncos fan, I would be seriously concerned. They could have just scuppered, scuppered their chances for the next five years on on a very bad buy here. Yeah. All right then, Joe. Let's uh, talking about teams that should be concerned. Let's let's move on over to the poor whipping boys of our conference and uh, and chat the Lions. Now they were a team that were certainly offensively absolutely scorching through the first four games of the season, then they come up against a Mac Jones-less Patriots and they get zero points. They literally score nothing on the offense. Totally bageled it. And so if you were a Lions fan previously, okay, you may not have been winning many games, but at least you were scoring points. At least it was fun. They got shut out. That's only the second time in 25 years that a team that was a leading league point scorer going into a game was shut out. What can you say, really? They played bad. They executed badly. We saw the worst side of Goff. Goff was being forced to make plays that he wouldn't normally want to make because of just the way that the game was going. But you can't take it away. There were some defensive efforts from that Patriots side. Players played big. Judon, Carl Duggar. Great games out of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned him last week, Joe, but Zap was at it again. The crowd were chanting his name. <laughs> yeah. His stat line maybe wasn't as electric as his name might suggest. You know, he got one touchdown, one interception, just under 200 yards. But again, sensible play. He's winning games. He managed the game, you know, 17 completions out of 21 attempts. He was steady. And, you know, whether this is Belichick or... The offensive coach, you know, they know what they've got with Zap. They know how to use him. They're mixing it in extremely well with the run game. Even when teams know that they're going to run a lot of the times, they're finding success 
with this method. And, and when you're a team that is, well, what, the Patriots are now two and three, that they're, they're kind of trying to stay alive in, in this division. And with two are out, there's an opportunity for them to gain some traction. And it's kind of made Mac Jones being out a little less painful for them. Yeah, uh, you'd touch on a lot of things there that I just want to allude to here. This was, in every essence of the word, vintage Patriots. I'm not sure if people saw the game, but they were wearing their vintage 1980s red jerseys. They had vintage Pat Patriot painted onto the field. It was vintage Bill Belichick, the way that he coached this game and won this game. It wasn't flashy quarterback play. It was just a solid defense and solid play calling. You said that he completed 17 out of 21 passes. That's almost a completion rate of 80%. Yeah. And I know that some of them were dinks. There was quite a few dink into running backs that probably padded it up a little bit. But whatever you say, he managed that game and played that game just how Bill Belichick wants his quarterbacks to play. And it was effective. Two starts, two wins, fair play to Bailey Zapp. He's kept the Patriots in the AFC East. When, you know, admittedly, three weeks ago, we were questioning if this was a team that was almost going to have to go straight into rebuild mode. But hey, they're hanging in there. Yeah, I mean, of course, no disrespect, but it is still the Lions. So let's wait and see what next week brings. But uh, it was encouraging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still the Lions. But this is the Lions who were scoring 35 points a game for the first four weeks. And they're still, I think, the second or third high scoring team, despite being shut out in week five. That's how many they were scoring. But, you know, the Patriots shut out. It's, it, it can't be, you know, it, it can't be shook that. Right, Joe, should we move on to Green Bay then? Uh, no, no, no. I, <laughs> yeah. I want to stretch this out for as long as I can. Dude, you're killing me here. <laughs> Why don't we just go around the league quickly? There's a few things that I want to kind of touch on, but I don't want to kind of break down the whole games and, and, and talk too much. But, but there's a few things I think need to be said from last week. First of all, I'll start you off, Giles. Buffalo, Pittsburgh. Fine. Buffalo ran out 38-3. Good. They played well. Happy days. Back to, you know, imperious, ominous form. What I didn't like, though, is when you're 38-3 up, taking cheap shots on a rookie quarterback, which is, what's the point? What's the point? Now, the Bills are a team that has a lot of goodwill, generally, in the league. If you're not in the AFC East, people generally like their fans. The Bills Mafia have this, you know, rep as a great fan base. They're loud, they're raucous, they have a good time, but they do a lot for charity, etc., etc. Everyone likes the Bills Mafia. People generally like Josh Allen. He, He seems to be a likable guy. But if they do the kind of housery that they were doing on Sunday evening, they won't be that for much longer. It's just unnecessary, unnecessary stuff. And I don't know whether you've got much to add to that, Charles, but I just wasn't happy with those hits that Pickett was taking. Yeah, look, I think it's easy to get carried away in a scenario where you're steamrolling and you think it's an opportunity to kind of showcase your skills, your sack talents, things like that. But I do think that that the Bills' defence took that to another level on Sunday. And it was a touch too much. It was overly aggressive. And I know that some people are going to say, look, you're in a game, you've got to go all out. But I think there is a line where you are a professional athlete and you know what is too far. And, and yeah, I agree. I think there are a couple of tackles in there this weekend that were totally unnecessary when you're dominating a game and there's a rookie quarterback. When you're 38 free yeah, up. there's no need for it. You're 38 free up in the fourth quarter. The game's gone. The game has gone. Buffalo basically hardly scored the second half. They were 30-31 free up at the half. This game was out of sight. 
That's why Case Keenan was on the field. The game was gone. It was just so unnecessary. Yeah, and from there, Joe, we, I mean, we spoke about the Lions bageling it against the Patriots. I think the Jags losing 13-6 to the Texans was a bit of a surprise because, again, we were talking only last week about how offensively the Jags were showing up. They had um, quite a competitive game against the Eagles the week before. So to see them lose 13-6 to the Texans was was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, another ugly game, really. It's so hard to know what to make of Trevor Lawrence. He plays like he did last week, you know, destroys the Colts, and then this week gets in gets intercepted twice on his way to a 32.0 quarterback rating against the Houston Texans, who haven't exactly set the world on fire. In fact, the Texans were the only team to not have a win going into this week's matchups. Ugly game, really. Let's just see. Uh, talking about players with goodwill, I think that Trevor Lawrence was a player, a rookie who came in with goodwill. He had charisma. He was going to a less good team like the Jags, so you know he wasn't really a threat to teams that people supported. People kind of wanted to see him do well, but it's just so inconsistent. And it's decision-making, it's execution, it's across the board. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's abysmal. Uh, it be interesting to see how it goes there, but I would like to see more consistency on the Trevor Lawrence road to being at least an acceptable starting quarterback yeah and then uh to round up the series of accumulated breakers uh do you want to finish on Jets and Dolphins just Jets and Dolphins just look this was a game that Zach Wilson started you know back to full health <laughs> the Jets put up 40 points which actually made them the highest scoring team across the league this week Wilson didn't throw a touchdown pass. Doesn't really matter. There were five rushing touchdowns by four different players. And the running backs got it going. Um, but whisper it quietly, the Jets are 3-2. Every New York team has a winning record. And that's going to be my link into the game in just a minute, Charles. But uh, Giants, Jets and Bills, all winning teams. Happy if you're a New York fan. <laughs> well, yeah. Not bad at all. I mean, I, I don't know what you thought about that game, Joe. I think it's a weird one because, look, Tua's not... He's not been a quarterback that's absolutely lit it up in Miami. Although I would say this season he's starting to show quite a bit of improvement. Um, but it does kind of seem to appear that whenever he's not on the field, Miami really struggle. And that's, look, that's not typically unusual. You'll find a lot of teams where if their starting quarterback goes down, they'll struggle without them. But um, Miami were getting absolutely nothing going. Now, I do think you've got to give credit where it's due. We spoke about the Jets' defence, a, a defence with lots of potential there, some really nice, good players showing real flashes of quality, and I think they demonstrated that again this week. But I think there's also the combined element of Miami just looking totally flat without Tua. They did, and you know, let's not forget to just keep things in check here a little bit. Their backup quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, was injured early in the first quarter, I think. So they were basically playing with their third-string quarterback for a lot of the game, which isn't going to help anyone. But still, the manner of his Jets win, the way that they didn't just sneak it, it wasn't a last-minute field goal, it wasn't the other team fluffing a goal-line carry towards the end. This was a dominant blowout victory for a Jets team, something that Jets fans haven't really seen much of in the last few years. It was done in a smash-mouth way, like you say, through great defence, but also, like I mentioned previous as well, through that strong running game. They played well. They played well. I'm I'm pleased for Jets fans. They don't get a lot of this team with some goodwill out there. Um, let's see how they carry this forward. But a winning record after five games for the Jets, something we haven't seen for a long time. 
Come on then, Joe, let's talk about the last New York team yet to be discussed. Yeah, right, okay. I think you've waited long enough, Charles. We can get on to it. So, as all our listeners will know, Charles is a Green Bay fan. He's been going to the games for a long time. It was it was like Christmas Eve for him on Saturday night when I was talking to him. He was finally getting to see his Packers on the Sunday. He was playing it cool, um, playing down their chances, but I knew deep down he really thought they were going to win. And he, he, he really thought the Packers were going to put the Giants back in their place. What happened though, Charles? I mean, in my defence, I had Packers winning by three. I wouldn't say I had them putting them back in their place, but yeah, it was... Um, well, look, let me just say this up front. It was an amazing experience. I absolutely loved it. I thought the atmosphere was fantastic. I think for large parts, the fans on both sides of the fence were were brilliant, as they often are at, at the English NFL games. I, I think it's actually, you know, my experience of going to previous NFL games in London, I, I'd echo what you said last week in that it felt quite partisan, the fan base. Obviously, you did have fans from from teams all over but there were large swathes of either blue or green in the stadium so it really yeah it, like i'd definitely say charles it was the heaviest i've ever seen it i've never seen that many fans from the two teams playing represented yeah. there definitely the most fans of one team i've seen the green bay but we were actually discussing this funnily enough uh, on saturday too about what the most supportive teams are in the uk and i think that by whatever measure you look at the giants are in there so the giants have a huge fan base here there's so much pent-up demand for green bay and let's not forget not just across the uk but across europe as well and across America for Green Bay fans who've never had a chance to go and do the international series games. So there's such pent-up demand for it. Very, very partisan out there. Yeah. And I think, look, whichever way the game shaped out, it, it was a good game. I really enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy the outcome, but I really enjoyed the game. I think most people there watching it would agree that it was an interesting, close, well-fought game. I would say my biggest issue with it, Joe really was the play calling and if if you said to me where where did it all go wrong i would say we looked completely in control in the first half uh we were really shutting down jones we were having success in the run game we were stringing a few passes together things looked good at second half you know rogers was having a half that is starting to become a little bit typical for him this season and you can argue that he doesn't have the talent to throw to but at the end of the day that's something that you have to deal with and you've got to deal with that as a quarterback and you've got to deal with that as coordinators of the game and if you know that the talent isn't there then you have to organize plays that allow something different and considering the success that Jones did have uh, Aaron Jones did have on the run play for Green Bay. I was absolutely gobsmacked that with three and two, when you have to score, you run two passing plays. What is that about? Yeah, and badly executed passing plays as well. Because like you say, babe, um, you're talking about in the fourth quarter, Green Bay had fallen behind, needed to convert that three and two. They nearly got intercepted on the three and yeah. two extremely close to being intercepted and they were lucky to get to have a fourth down chance and again they went with a pass but it was so obvious it was going to happen you knew the play calling was going to end up going that way 
I think you're absolutely right, Charles, to pick up on a play calling because you 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 look at talent through his teams, and some people say, oh, you know, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have his Devante Adams, blah 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 blah. Well, who's Daniel Jones throwing it to? Really? Yeah, exactly. Darius Slayton was the number one receiver on that team for a good quarter of a game. Barkley was out with an injury. And they had gone down to Matt Breda as a running back. Still massively outran Packers. Well, not massively, 125 yards to 94. But you get my drift. The personnel wasn't exactly stellar for the Giants. They're facing a lot of injury problems. But they managed to overcome. And overcome after a pretty bad start as well. Um, I don't think there's really much more to say about it, Charles, really. The play calling was bad. Execution wasn't great from Green Bay. Rogers, Rogers was throwing some passes out there that... There were a couple of times I was just questioning what he was doing, thrown into double coverage, lucky to not get intercepted a couple of times, but it was what it was. Yeah, and, you know, again, no disrespect to the Giants because, look, they ultimately, they played a good game and, and you know, you've correctly identified, they, they found a way to adjust and they found the plays that worked for them in the end and they scored on Green Bay. But I think that was really a game that we lost more than than the Giants won necessarily. We just really threw that away towards the end. And I I think that we're just starting to see... I don't agree with you. Oh, okay. I'm going to be honest. I don't agree with you. You were never more than, uh, what, 14 free up? So Green Bay played a good first half. But I think that if you only play one good half, I don't think you can say that you've lost that game. Because Green Bay were terrible, really, in the second half. Yeah, so we threw that away. That wasn't because the Giants suddenly turned it on. It was because we were tragic. I disagree. I I think that you can only say that you've thrown it away if you've dominated more than half a game. If you only dominate a half, I don't think that you can throw it away. I think that you played well until the half and then New York made the adjustments at half time and then you were terrible. But I don't think that's throwing it away. You've got to play for more than a half to qualify for throwing it away. Like Just to reiterate how bad you were in the second half though, the only points you scored were the tactical safety that the Giants took at the end of the fourth quarter. But um, yeah, I, I, I think I would say I think it's slightly unfair to the Giants to say that, that you threw it away. The Giants came back and won that game. Okay, well, we agree to disagree on that. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I don't think the Giants did anything that was amazing in the second half, but I think we did lots of things that were terrible, including boneheaded play calling. I think that one was on us, but you know, fans fans will have their own view and their own opinion, um, which is fine. But I, I'm more concerned as a larger picture in terms of what Matt Lafleur can do with this team, and I think what I've witnessed as a Green Bay fan over the last couple of years, and I suppose it was less apparent when he first joined because I think after Mike McCarthy. We had quite a period of immediate success under Matt LaFleur. It sort of glossed over the cracks. But I think what I've witnessed more so now is actually when we're painted into a corner, when our backs are against the wall, those plays to dig us out of it, they're not there. And that ability to adjust when our A plan isn't working is not apparent for me. Um, I think you look at the San Francisco game that we lost in the playoffs last season. You know, these are these are things where we have one style of football we try to play and if it doesn't work, we don't know how to adapt and we crumble and that's a concern for me. Yeah, that's that's fair. I'm gonna give you one last chance, Charles. I'm gonna see if I can um see if I can fish it out. Some of the uh some of the calls made by the refs were questioned by some. 
Do you want to blame Marifs at all? I'm going to give you a chance. No, no, no. No, I definitely don't. <laughs> Listen. Just, just what a check. <laughs> no, there were, there were a couple of calls that I was a bit annoyed about at the stadium. But I think to suggest that they were the reason that, that we lost, I think that's grossly unfair. And again, I think that would be disrespectful to the Giants. And I also think it would let our play calling uh, off the hook. And I think neither of those things are fair. So no, it wasn't, it wasn't on the refs. It was, it was on the two teams that were playing. Very magnanimous of you, Charles. Very magnanimous. So we've got one more uh, London game left. Uh, that's the extremely exciting Broncos versus the Jags. Oh my God. After those two teams played this week, I mean, what, how are you feeling about that, Joe? Well, I've got three tickets for that, but I think I might be going by myself at this rate. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let's... <laughs> Let's see how that goes. Oh, Joe, it was really good fun meeting up for the weekend. It was great sort of mingling with um, all sorts of different fans. It was it was a real mix, actually. I On my right, I had a French Green Bay Packer fan. On my left, I had a Spanish Green Bay Packer fan. Behind me, I had nothing but a wall of blue, hard-nosed New York Giants fans. So it was a fantastic atmosphere. And uh, I look forward to watching all the games this weekend, Joe. So until next week, speak soon. Until next week.